Hello, I'm Dr. Miriam Hanna, and this is The Allergist, a show that separates myth from medicine, deciphering allergies and understanding the immune system. that we have these different themes that pop up in the world of medicine and have actually been so apparent in allergy and immunology to me. There was the paradigm shift years. Those were big years for us. We turned our practices on edge from absolute avoidance to feed them early and keep it often. Then came the shared decision-making era. We've talked a lot about this one over the last few episodes, actually. As new emerging therapies have appeared within our specialty, it's all about choosing the right patient for the right therapy and being able to guide them along that path. AI and virtual was the next one. That was through the pandemic years. I think this one's still actually ongoing. Seems to get momentum, slows down, then picks up again. I don't think we've heard the end of that one. There's EDI, a revolution was arising across all of healthcare. Acknowledgement and awareness were our first steps. We got work to do on that one. Burnout, that was another theme that came out at some point. More so our paths to identifying it within ourselves and hopefully eventually addressing it once we understand it. I seem to get a good handle on each of these themes as the discussions evolved. And the more I dove into them, the more I understood. Quality improvement. What? I have no idea why that one stumped me. Quality improvement was something that I felt launched into from my provincial college. I received an email from the CPSO a few years ago saying I needed to complete a QI project. My heart rate went up. I read, reread, and like any responsible physician that gets an email from their college, I quickly went online and looked up why me? As I learned, the CPSO initiative had selected me as a random group, okay, to participate that year. I was one of the chosen ones. Long story short, my project was done and one of my colleagues helped me. And with its timing, we did it actually on an initiative to help address our burnout and our health. As I've learned more about quality improvement, I actually have found it to be a fascinating process. So today's podcast is actually slightly different. I brought in today's speaker to teach us more about quality improvement and perhaps whether you become one of the chosen ones from your college or decide to pursue this rather intentionally, you'll be more equipped than I was. Dr. Victoria Cook is a member of the Division of Allergy and Clinical Immunology at UBC. She has a busy community-based practice in Victoria, where she sees both pediatric and adult patients. She is currently undergoing additional training in quality improvement methodology with her local health authority to learn how to make positive changes in the healthcare system. Dr. Cook, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Miriam. I am a big fan of the podcast, as are all of my uh, clinic staff. So I'm very excited to be here talking about this, talking about, as you mentioned, this like very hot topic that I am an active learner in the field of right now. I think we do our best learning when we're in the thick of it. So tell me so far, what does quality improvement actually mean? This is a great question. And honestly, it was one that I was a little bit confused about until one of our first sessions this year, because you think quality is a subjective statement, really. Like there's a lot of things that can contribute to quality. 
quality improvement though broadly, so this is an actual like science. So in quality improvement is a framework that allows us to systematically make and evaluate changes in processes or systems that lead to measurable improvements in outcomes. And that might be, that's in a variety of fields. So that's in uh, the manufacturing industry, and obviously we're applying it to healthcare. So in healthcare, that means that we're making changes guided by data that are going to lead to immediate improvements, we hope, in the healthcare setting. And within the quality, like within the term quality, there's several dimensions that we want to take into account. So that includes things like respect, so a person's choices, safety, avoiding harm, accessibility of things, appropriateness of services and therapies, effectiveness of what we're doing, equity and efficiency. Are we using our resources well? So all of those things can contribute to quality. Within the field of quality improvement, so we've been taught a lot, and I think this has come up in a lot of lectures for allergists at at conferences in the last few years, we've learned about this thing called the model of improvement, which essentially outlines, number one, what is it that we're trying to accomplish? Number two, how are we going to know that change is actually an improvement? How are we knowing that we're making things better? And what change can we make that will result in improvements? We have to decide those things as well. And after that, there's this cycle We've heard of the PDSA cycle, so the plan, do, study, and act. So essentially, we define our problem, we figure out what are the contributors to the problem, we come up with a bunch of solutions, and then we test them with this cycle. And we do it over and over again until we're making things better, essentially. And it's fine. So it's iterative, right? You pick a thing, you try it. If it doesn't work, you toss it out the window. If it works, you keep it, and then you add on another one. And then gradually, by doing this, we get better. So that, that I think, in a nutshell, is what quality improvement is. But I think what gets overwhelming is it's so broad, and it started outside of healthcare, and then we're incorporating it in healthcare. And then the last part that you mentioned is it almost it's iterative. So it has no, well, it has a set beginning, I guess, when you're starting to approach it. But essentially, the end point can keep moving and moving along with you. Absolutely. Perpetuity. Now, I, I think that adds to the complexity of it in my <laughs> mind. Okay, so can you help me understand, has the focus and quality improvement changed in medicine? It was in manufacturing before, and now we are applying it to patient care or patient care delivery. How has the focus on quality improvement really evolved in this past few years? Yes, that's a great question. And I think just looking at medicine and how we look at quality as a whole, so there's a bunch of papers on this and they they taught us in one of our first sessions right medicine initially the model was very paternalistic you have the doctor you trust what the doctor is doing and then you get to those quality assurance years and this is also when you were talking about buzzwords in the intro i was thinking about this so we all remember like as a trainee i remember the people counting to make sure everyone did the hand hygiene thing on the ward, right? And then the signs in the ICU, like 10 days since the last line infection. So these, so quality assurance sort of preceded quality improvement. And this was basically a really, a very measurement-based set of tools to try and focus on what was going wrong and measure stuff and make sure we were adhering to best practices so that we didn't have those bad outcomes. So if you're thinking about like health outcomes as like a bell curve, Think about that bottom 5 to 10%. So quality assurance was focused on the bad things, and we're going to measure stuff and make sure we adhere, and we're going to get rid of those bad things. It didn't necessarily make everything else better, right? But it did. It helps to get rid of the bad things. So, so that was sort of quality assurance. And then 
Over the years now, our healthcare systems are becoming increasingly complex. So quality improvement is a much more collaborative, open communication model where the goal isn't to focus on the bad stuff. And in fact, you're looking at the other side of the bell curve. So you're focusing on that 5 to 10% of things that are the good things and saying, how can we make that better? And so your goal with quality improvement is actually to shift the whole curve to the right. So you're making the whole system better. So I think that's the goal. So it's very collaborative. It involves our teams and these small incremental changes that that can then have a really big impact. I, I really like that positive twist on it to say we're trying to shift the curve up. I remember as a medical student, I had this project where I was supposed to pass out these like red tags to everybody that was not doing all this stuff. And it felt very punitive. You were very scared yes. to implement anything because you didn't want to penalize anyone. That's exactly right. That's the shift. Yeah. OK, so we're trying to shift the curve up in allergy these days. Why do you think we should grasp onto quality improvement? And I know this is kind of a personal opinion here, but why do you think it should be incorporated into our practices in allergy and immunology specifically? Yes, and why should the college be randomly selecting people who must do? <laughs> I know. I Why me? Really? Why? That was stressful. <laughs> so I think that's a great point is why should we care about this? And I think Honestly, one of the coolest facts that they told us in one of our one of our sessions early on was that QI reduces burnout. And this is so timely for us right now, right? The pandemic was hard. Healthcare delivery has been hard. It's stressful. The system is overburdened. We have a long wait times. There's a lot of problems. But they've shown that when people are involved in quality improvement projects, they're communicating about what's going on, they're coming up with solutions, they're enacting them, and they're seeing change, that actually helps to reduce measures of burnout. So I think that's a pretty pretty compelling reason to participate. The other piece is that as I was first learning, you know, so before I started this course, you know, I've attended a few other seminars in the, in the years preceding this, and I thought to myself, wait, we're doing this already. So all of us, like all of our colleagues are actively engaged in QI, but just perhaps in a less formalized way, right? Maybe we're not doing all of the measurements to really check and see what we're doing, but all of us, like in our clinical lives, not just clinical, your personal lives too, you're going through things and you're like, gee, that that didn't go great. What am I going to do to make that better? And then you're trying to make those changes. So even like think of running a clinic. Oh man, we had a lot of no-shows last month. Maybe we need a new reminder service. Maybe we need to call them twice. Maybe we need a no-show fee. And you're enacting those things to try and improve those sorts of outcomes. So I would say we should care because you're already doing it. You might as you might as well do it right and then take advantage of all of the positive outcomes that you can reap. And it's also kind of nice. I think it's more accessible. So I'm a community practitioner, right? So I work in an allergy clinic in the community, but I'm also affiliated with the academic institution and I'm trying to do some academic stuff and research. But research, I think, is hard at time. Like, it's awesome. I love it. But also hard and maybe less accessible sometimes for those of us practicing in the community, managing a busy clinic and higher patient loads. And, and QI is something that is accessible to everyone. And it is a way that you can participate in making patient outcomes better in, in your own very local environment, which is such a cool thing to do. So we can all make our patients' lives better and our own lives better okay, by participating you're making in QI. It rosy. <laughs> but you're making it rosy. Tell me challenges. There's challenges in implementing QI. If it's all rosy, I hit roadblocks when I think of QI <laughs> projects. My ideas are very good conceptually in the 30 seconds that it takes to come up with them. But... What are common challenges we incurred 
Yeah, absolutely. So this was so funny. So at our very first, so we, we I started this training in August. There's a cohort, a group of us who are doing it. We had these really grandiose plans, right? We've applied to this with, we're going to do all of these things. We're going to change the world. And we go to the first session. And essentially what happened at that session was it was like everything got chopped down. So you had this like big grandiose project and you left there with this like tiny little modified piece of it and you're sort of like well I'm less excited now but <laughs> and that's I think there there are lots of challenges and I think the biggest one is you really need to focus on what is in my sphere of influence what can I change because if you're trying to change things that you have no control over you will be unsuccessful in getting anything done <laughs> So that I think was one of the key lessons, because when we're thinking, you know, problems in healthcare, ah, there's so many, but you need to focus on the things that you can actually change. So I think that's probably challenge number one. And then challenge number two is buy-in. So you have to get other people specifically in your local environment who are, you're going to get to do this stuff with you. You have to convince them that this is fun and worthwhile. So you really got to sell it. You got to come up with your they tried to get us to do like your elevator pitch. You have to make people care about what you're doing so that they want to help you do it. Um, and then you, you want to make sure that you have the right supports in your environment so that you can carry out the plans you need to do. There's actually a tool that they took us through where you can take your project and you, you answer all of these questions about other people in your environment, the resources you have, and it gives you kind of like a score, like, should you bother doing this or are you not set up for success? And I thought that was really cool. So there's definitely challenges that I think that we address by trying to make sure that we're doing something that we have the resources to address within our sphere of influence. You can tell you love QI. You took the challenges and flipped it on me to ways that we can get through the challenges. <laughs> All right, you're good, Dr. Cook. I caught on to that. Can quality improvement help improve our like patient-centered care models? Is it all mechanical and background stuff or can it actually happen to improve our patient-centered care? Yeah, yeah. So this is a great, this is an awesome question. And I think it absolutely does in so many ways. So like within the clinic, again, we're using this all the time. So one, one great example, so I'm fortunate I get to work with Dr. Scott Cameron and his team in our clinic. And one example that we have is our anaphylaxis response. So allergists, immunologists, we're constantly causing anaphylaxis in the clinic. So every week or two, we, do we have indeed. an episode of anaphylaxis. <laughs> yeah. So so keeps us on our toes. But always we want to do the best job we can responding to that medical emergency when we have it. And we certainly have lots of opportunities to improve based on the frequency that it happens. So I had I think two or three in a row adult male patients sit in my waiting room with symptoms starting and not saying anything. One, one of them even was Googling symptoms of anaphylaxis. But didn't, in your waiting in room? In the waiting room. Did, and oh. and didn't, didn't say anything. It, did just, it didn't want to overreact, right? It's always these guys, they're like, nah, I, I think I'm fine. But then they weren't fine. And, and so, so we said, gee, that, there was a delay there, but just because we didn't know there wasn't overt symptoms that we could hear, we didn't know what was going on. So we, we said and asked like, hey, what could we have done? so that you would have spoken up sooner. So now we've got these signs plastered everywhere. Say everything. We remind people at their visits. Make sure we've got all of the staff is so well attuned. If someone so much as like breathes heavily, they're on it. So those are the sorts of changes that you can make in the clinical practice. 
I get excited about workflow. It's like my own personal jam. I'm all about practice efficiency in my time in clinic. I want to be very efficient with how I use it so that I have a life and obviously other things that I pursue in my life. But is QI something that I can incorporate or apply to help with this kind of passion to optimize workflow? Oh my gosh, this is the best application of QI, Miriam. You absolutely can apply this to everything. Everything you do in the so office. it's about framing it. It's about- I just need to call it off QI. This is QI. QI. And it's going to get better. And actually, if you were to enlist your staff members in this, you could even make this a thing that you don't even have to direct. Right? So even, so this is one of the things. So my project is looking at how can we see infants that are referred for food allergy? How do we make sure that we don't delay in seeing them, that we get those kids seen within one or two months of being referred? And so that piece, there's so many things in that, right? So the referring doctor has to send in a referral. Someone's got to see that in the inbox. They've got to upload it. You got to correct all the information. Sits on a triage list. Someone's got to treat, right? So there's all of those pieces. And when you're looking, so so what's something that bothers you in your clinical day? What's the thing that's annoying? The wait times while they're waiting between testing when they're in my office, there's like really an opportunity where they could already be telling me their information or telling one of my staff or uploading that information Mm -hmm. online. Like there, there's a gap, right? Because we, I think once you practice for long enough, it's a series of 10 questions for each condition and it leads you down a different pathway and the tree is all solidified in your mind and you have to say a couple flags to veer me off. But I feel like I could be automated and then Mm -hmm. I could move on in a faster way to help patients. Yeah. And then focus on the management aspect, right? Which is really where you want to spend your time. So, So there's lots of different things that you can do with that and you could chat with your staff and ask their input. Could you have them are they filling out an intake form ahead of time? Is that something that they could do in the office? Is that something that they could do from home? Did you know Oceans, you can program Oceans. So it essentially has them fill out an intake form with all of the questions, including in a hierarchical fashion, like you take your history, and then it will give you a pre-generated consult note so that you even have to type less and spend less time on your letter. So these are these are things, right? So these are you, what you do is you say, well, that's annoying. And then you think, okay, well, what are all of the things that are contributing to that patient weight? And then you think, well, what things could I do that are relatively easy, not going to cost a ton, and that are going to have the biggest impact on that? And then you pick one of those and you go with it. And then you can say, and you want to you make sure, like, what are you measuring? You know, that wasted time. So you can try and mm. keep track of that over time and see, can you reduce that? So in a sense, quality improvement is rechanneling my annoyance into action and yes. optimizing work. Yeah, that is it. I'm liking this even more. I, I can see where this grows on people once they understand it a bit more. Okay, you mentioned it a little bit in triaging and working collaboratively. How does collaboration work in the setting of QI with other healthcare professionals? Should we be like doing QI projects with the pediatrician and the referring family doc as well? Like how how far out does this extend beyond our office walls? Oh, that's huge. So collaboration is really everything. Collaboration and communication is how we make change. So within the formal framework of a QI project, you want to come up with your project team and you want to think of like everyone. So when you look at the process, that's a potential problem for you. You want to think who everyone who touches that process I should have some representation of them on my project team. Um, So in my case, because I'm the referring providers play a large role in 
patient counseling, which impacts how soon I see the patient <laughs> and how the patient fares. So, so on my project team, I have like a pediatrician, an emergency physician, a family physician. I have a patient, right? Really important. That's a really important one to get their viewpoint along with my awesome medical office administration, our nurses who are amazing. So every everyone has a role and they have input on those initial suggestions. And I think like my initial brainstorming, so I thought I had a pretty good idea of the process and ideas of what to do about it. I went and had a meeting with our nursing and our awesome administrators and there was like 50 more ideas that I would never have thought of. So you're just, you're taking advantage of all of this brain power and people who have different perspectives from you. And it is so valuable. The other piece that in our group they're really focusing on is, you know, the role of executive sponsorship. So that's what executive sponsorship sounds like a bit of a, a buzzword. But basically, if you're working within like a health system and you think, what, where does my project interact with the system? So initially I thought like, gee, I would love when patients are referred for food allergy and in infancy, I want them to already know that they should be eating those other allergenic solids. Eat them immediately. They should already have an EpiPen if there's a concern. They should know how to use it. So there's these key pieces of counseling that I want to make sure are given to the patient before they're referred to me. And initially I thought I'm not going to be able to really reach the eMERGE docs to get them to do this or same thing with the urgent care clinics. But it turns out I have on my um, project team, as far as executive sponsorship, I have a couple of members who've been so instrumental, you know, in hooking me up with the electronic medical record in the hospital systems. This won't be immediate, but later on, maybe I can have an influence on the automatic handouts that are generated when someone makes an allergy referral. That's so cool. That's a major impact. And similarly, another um, project team member oversees a lot of the primary care clinics and urgent care clinics and has been very helpful. And she's going to help me arrange to speak and do an educational session about my project and see how we can facilitate making sure those that counseling is given even from those urgent care centers. So I think if you want things done, thinking of both your local, like everyone that your project might impact or be impacted by, and then also who can help you to actually achieve things in the broader system, getting them involved and then making them see that your project is important is so helpful. And also such a great way to spend time with your colleagues and see the ways that different projects can interact. I want to pick your brain. This seems time consuming. This seems time consuming, but I thought I was trying to make myself more efficient. I don't mean to derail you, but does that build frustration for you to say, I had this great idea and it'll take two seconds to implement, but this sounds like months and maybe like system change years before we see that. I would say that in a lot of these cases, like these are things that we're going to do anyways, right? So you're, you're motivated to get out of your office more quickly and to make those patient visits more efficient. So you're already thinking about what should I do? And I think when you're going to take the time to intervene, you really do want to know, is it actually effective or not? Because what if you paid for this service? Say you had an AI-generated note taker. What if in the end it actually took you longer and you weren't monitoring that? And then now you're actually spending more time than less. You want to know and you want to actually take that little bit of extra time up front to know whether or not what you're doing is successful because then that ultimately is going to save you time later. So I agree. Oh it I have totally experienced that. I bought a dictaphone <laughs> and it turns out I hate talking to an inanimate object. So 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> so Flashbacks. Yeah, totally. Right. So you, you want to know, is your intervention working? And I think there's other ways to reduce the time that you spend on these things. This is a thing that you can also ask your team to do and to monitor for you and make that part of your regular like office team meetings. So you can say, what's our project? All right. How do you envision quality improvement changing in our field? What's going to what's going to happen over the next five to 10 years because or as a consequence of quality improvement? What's your vision? What, what do you think? I think what we're already seeing is increased uptake of these ideas. And it's not like I said, people are actually already doing quality improvement. But I think we're going to see increased uptake of the use of the formal structure and monitoring. And I think especially in the field of allergy and immunology, I think our Canadian allergists and immunologists are already doing a really impressive work in this field. So I see this becoming just sort of more ubiquitous. And I think you're going to see more health authorities and provinces demanding it, whether that's part of your <laughs> part of your college registrations or this awesome like funded cohort that I'm in right now. So I think BC is really doing it right by providing funding for clinicians to get this training so that they can in turn better the healthcare system. Ontario, BC has figured it out correctly. Okay, yes. sorry. Yeah, keep Absolutely, going. plug for that. Subliminal yeah. messaging. <laughs> All right, time to wrap up and ask today's allergist, Dr. Victoria Cook, for her top three key messages to impart to patients and physicians on today's topic, quality improvement, specifically in allergy and immunology. Dr. Cook, over to you. Thanks, Miriam. And thank you again for this discussion. It's been really fun. I've enjoyed talking about quality improvement and all of its applications. So my three take-home messages. So the first one is that everyone can do quality improvement. You are already doing quality improvement. You just need to keep doing it. The second take is that QI is really essential to help us provide the best care for our patients. And these small iterative changes to how we practice can actually make a big difference in how our, our patients experience care and, and their health outcomes. The third one is that not only is it better for your patients, it's also better for you. <laughs> so it is the antidote to burnout so when you have a rough day, take that time to think about how you could make it better. And then you want to make sure you plan, do, study, and act. And then everything will be smooth. <laughs> and with that beautiful finishing statement, thank you, Dr. Cook, for joining us on today's episode of The Allergist. This podcast is produced by the Canadian Society of Allergy and Clinical Immunology. The Allergist is produced for CSACI by Podcraft Productions. The views expressed by our guests are theirs alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Canadian Society. This podcast is not intended to provide any individual medical advice to our listeners. Please visit www.csaci.ca for show notes and any pertinent links from today's conversation. The Find an Allergist app on the website is a useful tool to locate an allergist in your area. If you like the show, please give us a five-star rating and leave a comment wherever you download your podcast. And share it with your networks, because hey, you're already doing QI. I'm just trying to make your life a bit more smooth. Thank you for listening. Sincerely, The Allergist. <laughs>